Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And with me for a special mailbag episode for everyone out there grinding fantasy football, even though it is the offseason, we have Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy pros rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of I'll Take That Bet on ESPN+. You can follow them in the Action Network app at the underscore odds maker and Chris Raybon. Use the app, of course, to get real-time odds and track your bets. Gentlemen, we are starting to get into the podcast groove. Last week, we released our top 200 fantasy football rankings at the Action Network, and we previewed them on the show. This week, we are giving the people what they want and answering all of their fantasy questions. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I just uh, I just put my chair on uh, on stiff, so it's not gonna. Hopefully, it's not squeaking around all all show. So if you if you guys hear some squeaky chair, you know I'm really excited about about a player because uh, my chair is. Uh, kind of it's kind of sturdy right now yeah sean how is your well, chair over there yeah i can't i can't commit to that i still have <laughs> the same chair from last year but i i will be getting one before uh the start of the season wasn't uh, there yeah. supposed to be a chair upgrade yeah yeah well, it's too soon for that though i guess uh right you know right about now is when i was planning on getting it so this might be the last pod with this chair who knows Oh, that would be a good, uh, a good way to send out the chair. Yeah. Uh, send it out in high style. Okay, here's a question. Do you prefer it when I ask directly, how's it going? Like, Sean, how's it going? And then Chris, how's it going? So that there's more direction. Or do you prefer it when I just throw up a question like a jump ball and let you two compete to fill the empty audio space? Yeah, I, I like the jump ball because, you know, whoever has the most going on can answer first. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like you know, I, I really had this chair thing going for me, and uh, I felt the need to just kind of jump in. You know, got got my ups over Sean, but I'm sure he'll be back next week with uh, something equally interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope he doesn't have anything less interesting than the chair. Uh, okay, let's 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 jump into it. Start hitting these questions. We have a lot of questions to get through. All right, number one from Gavin. I have the number one pick. Is Saquon really the guy? 
one of you. See, this is why I asked the question. <laughs> I thought that was just for the opening question. This I didn't is, know you were going to not this ask is, This is why I asked. I just wanted to see. <laughs> okay, yes. I, I um, Saquon is the guy. Saquon, I don't see why not. Um, I think uh, we'd be fine with Zeke there at number one as well um, because I think that there's a few teams out there that still have shown um, a relative commitment to, to wanting to feed their backs, and I think Saquon and Zeke kind of topped that list. Um, Christian McCaffrey, I don't think is, is a horrible choice there, but um, I think they might want to scale his workload back uh, a tiny bit. And then there are some other guys that I think have that RB1 overall upside that I wouldn't call you crazy if you took number one. It's just a little bit more uncertainty, guys like David Johnson and, um, and Le'Veon Bell, who have kind of showed that in the past. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, if I have first pick, I'm taking Barkley. I'm not really tinkering with it too much right now. You might consider Zeke, but... You know, if, I, if I'm given the first pick, I'm just taking Barkley at this this point in the season. I mean, I will say, Rayvon, uh, to kind of push back, in our rankings, you actually have Zeke ahead of Saquon. Uh, <laughs> do you care to uh, address that at all? So, it's for me, it's just um, they're really equal. It's just um, Zeke, I think his touchdown upside is still a little bit greater. So, um, he's just kind of – his projection is kind of maybe a couple of tenths ahead of – of Barkley, but that, you know, that's nothing where I would, you know, really worry about. Like I yeah. said, like I don't sweat in general. This is my advice. Don't sweat the number one pick, especially if you have first overall, like it's literally the, the least important pick of the whole draft probably for you, because if you do whiff on it, it's just, it's going to be more so just bad luck than anything you could have predicted. Guys are up there for a reason. All right. Uh, what are the projections by the pros on Gurley? Sean, I want to kick this to you. All right, since that's such a specific question, I'll just tell you what I have right now for his projections. So I have 240 carries, 1,065 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, 51 receptions, 450 receiving yards, and three receiving touchdowns. So that, you know, he comes in as my sixth running back with those. But I've been advocating to not draft him there just because there's so much hidden downside in drafting Gurley right now. You know, the the, uh, Rams kept uh, Malcolm Brown. They drafted Daryl Henderson in the third round. So, you know, his knee might not be 100% this year. So they, they could scale back his carry significantly or even miss time if it it flares up during the season. So, you know, kind of going back to what Raybon was saying, your first pick shouldn't be – there shouldn't be any massive downside at all. You're just trying to take high upside guys. And, you know, Gurley is unfortunately one of those guys with just a really low floor. So I'm I'm pretty much avoiding him. Uh, in the first round. Now, you know, having said that, over the summer, you know, the the drafts, his ADP might fall somewhere in the second round. And, you know, I think around then I would consider taking him. But for, for right now, uh, my medium projections for him having the first round, but I'm still passing on him due to this this hidden floor he has. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the Rams drafted uh, Daryl Henderson, actually traded up to draft him. So uh, that's not a great sign there. Chris, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I'll just give my – because I think, um, you know, Sean gave his uh, full-season projection, so I'll just give my per-game one since I think there will be a lot of – you know, it, it, there's a lot of different ways you could project, you know, games missed for, for every player. So mine are 14.1 carries, 61 yards, uh, 0.56 rushing touchdowns, uh, 4.5 targets, 3.3 catches, 28 receiving yards, and 0.17 receiving touchdowns. So depending on how many games you project, um, that will kind of – you know, give you your, your full season. And, and yeah, Daryl Henderson, rookie running back, drafted in the third round over the last, uh, since 2011, are averaging 137 touches per season. So that kind of gives you a an idea of how much Henderson could kind of 
cut into that that work. But I think Malcolm Brown was brought back and on that offer sheet matched more so um, as a direct backup to Gurley because uh, McVeigh kind of talked about working out all of the change of pace backs at receiver. And, and Henderson was one of those guys. And he said he wanted to use Dunbar in that kind of role. Uh, he just didn't, he never stayed healthy. So that what that tells me is that, you know, Henderson's going to be kind of not necessarily just a direct backup, but also that Kayvon Austin uh, is trash. Are Hopkins and Adams the number one and number two wide receiver? Yes. And I don't think the order really matters. I mean, if I had 100 drafts, I'd probably go with Hopkins 53% of the time and Adams 47% of the time. Ideally, I want to get a pick later in the first round and just get whichever guy falls to me and then be in better position to snag Travis Kelsey. But, I, I mean, again, with, with the first round, you, you can't really go wrong with these guys. But uh, if, I, if I had to lean on any particular one, it would be Hopkins for now. Yeah, Raybon, you feel the same way? Yeah, it's pretty much 50-50 for me. Kind of the same thing with running back. It's it, There's no reason to sweat that pick too much. I think Hopkins um, has shown what he can do with poor quarterbacks. And then the, the advantage of Adams is that I still don't think Rodgers is going to trust many of these guys, um, even you know even in year two. I mean, he's all about trust. And if you just look at how much he targeted Adams, especially in the red zone, compared to how much he targeted his other receivers, it was just not even close. Yeah, I have Beckham, I think, as my number two guy. That's probably a little aggressive. I might need to rethink that a little bit, but I'm still pretty bullish on him. I think uh, I'd probably I think, go with Hopkins and Beckham as the top two guys. I don't know how far along you are in, in your projections of like games missed, but I, I, Beckham is a little bit, I think, of a greater injury risk than, than it seems than, than those guys. Yeah, Does he, anyone have any opinion on, those, on that? Yeah, he is. Yeah. I, he definitely is. Because he's, I mean, a lot of his injuries have been soft tissue, right? So, um, you know, things like that. You, you would consider to be more reoccurring than others. Uh, I'm just waiting for Raybon's injury study to um, yeah. have a final say on that. But uh, yeah, he just, he seems to have just a little more risk than these guys. So, I mean, he's still, you know, could be the number two receiver. So I saw my top five, but I, I just rather have these stable guys that have, you know, proven over the last couple of years, they can stay healthy as well. Yeah. He's higher in my per game than my yeah. season, season long. All right, uh, who is the one player you expect to surprise everybody and be this year's fantasy darling, i.e. last year's version of Philip Lindsay or Patrick Mahomes? I tell you what, let's, uh, this is a good question. Let's save this one for the end of the show. That's what we call a tease in the business. Uh, okay, next one. Uh, who is the one first-rounder by ADP you're looking to fade? Uh, I'm assuming, Sean, for you, that's Gurley. Uh, yeah. Raybon, do you have any opinion on this one? Yeah, oh yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. It's girly. I wrote about this in my uh, 10 players I'm fading uh, over at the actionnetwork.com slash NFL. And, you know, he was the first guy. I just think that, as Sean mentioned, he's the one guy that you could really pick out that has a, a lower floor that we're aware of. You know, every running back has a certain type of floor because of their, their, the great, their position with the greatest amount of injury risk. They have the most high impact collisions. But Gurley, beyond that, just has a little more because we know about the, the knee condition. We, we see the Rams kind of taking precautions and getting guys uh, in place behind them. All right, kind of in that same vein, and this one is asked from Matt in Cedar Rapids, a really good-looking guy I've heard. Uh, who is the one second-rounder you want to draft? Uh, for me, it would be, uh, you know, it, all, it always depends on your draft position. You can't really, you know, whatever you're slotted at, you kind of have a bucket of three or four guys you can actually have access to too but the guy I'm hoping for at almost any point in round two is Travis Kelsey um, I've talked about it before but the you know the drop off at tight end is so severe that you know I like to lock up one of the top three tight ends 
And, you know, I have Travis Kelsey a little bit higher than Zach Ertz, too. So I think Kelsey's almost in a tier by himself. So locking in tight end in round two, uh, I think, is a huge advantage. So he's, he's the one guy I would hope would fall to me at any point in round two. Yeah, I think we're going to uh, talk about Kelsey uh, a little bit more later. Uh, Rayvon, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, you know, this is a year where you can get away with that tight end. But um, and if any uh, if any of the running backs that are normally in the first round happen to drop uh, a David Johnson, even a, a Joe Mixon, um, I like I like getting that second uh, back that I think can kind of be in the top six or have that top six upside as well. So those, that, those are the two guys that I look at. Sean, you mentioned that um, your ability to draft guys in the second round is is pretty much dependent on where you are slotted. Uh, and so that fits with our next question. If you can choose your draft position in a 12-man snake redraft league, which position do you want to draft in? So that's a great question. Who asked that question, by the way? Because I, I love that question. Uh, Mark McDonald. Yeah, fantastic question. Now, I, I really don't care where I draft. I have a strategy from each spot. But if I were to choose one, I would say uh, pick number four this year. The first round, you basically get whatever top four running back falls to you. I, I would be fine with any of them. Uh, and then, you know, in the second round, you can either get, you know, one of the top wide receivers that, you know, make it to you or potentially Travis Kelsey uh, round three. You know, if you miss Travis Kelsey, you can snag one of the top three tight ends or another wide receiver one. And then round four, you can get a second, you know, wide receiver one type guy or a running back number two that falls to you. So I just think, you know, after the first four rounds, you're pretty much playing with house money. I think that's a pretty complete team. Uh, and you can make uh, more aggressive picks later in the draft because I think uh, just having that fourth pick puts you in position to like, you know, really snag the running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends that I'm looking for this year. There was some fantastic swivel action going on with the chair, uh, Sean, when you were answering that question. So I could tell that was one you were really excited about. Raybon, anything there? I like pick eight because I actually think that the top eight running backs, there is not much – or my top eight running backs, there's not much – as much of a difference uh, as we think. And I like to be able to, so I want to be able to get close as close to that turn as possible to then be able to grab a guy on that back half who falls and then kind of do it again in rounds three and four. So I have, you know, Saquon, Zeke, McCaffrey, Kamara, but I also like, you know, Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, and David Johnson, just as essentially just as much as those guys. So um, I'm fine anywhere up to, to pick eight so I can get one of those, one of those eight. All right, if you go wide receiver, wide receiver in the first two rounds, who is your must-have running back in the third round? I'll say two, D- uh, Damian Williams and Aaron Jones. Uh, Williams, because I think that he is going to have uh, essentially the same role he had down the stretch last season. Uh, Kansas City always kind of has its – tries to work in its backup just a little bit, whether it's in a pass-blocking, pass-catching role, like a, a Shark Kendrick West, uh, or, or a more traditional role like a Spencer Ware. Um, they're always going to work in that guy like a Carlos Hyde, but I think Williams will be that lead guy, and he's proven effective. And then I think Aaron Jones kind of showed last year that um, he could do it all. He could be a feature back. And now with the new coaching staff, I think they are going to be mindful of not making the same mistakes that that Mike McCarthy made, which was to kind of banish Jones to the bench for long stretches and and not play him as much as they needed. So those are those are the two guys. Sean, anything there? Uh, No, I mean, if if I had my way, I'm not taking my first running back around three. Uh, As you know, that's sort of where the frozen pond begins. But I, I do like all these running backs in round three and round four. They're just all the same to me. So I'm more willing to kind of 
uh, either grab the last tight end available or another, you know, you can get AJ Green, Keenan Allen type receivers uh, in round three. So I might be, uh, oh, well, this is if I've taken two wide receivers, but um, I'd probably try to strategize my drafts where I'm not panicking trying to draft my uh, first running back in round three. So, uh, and I'm not one to kind of plan out in detail what positions I'm taking in rounds. I'm, I'm just going to take whatever guys fall to me. So I let the draft come to me. So, uh, but, you know, overall, I'm, uh, you know, kind of shying away from running backs in round three and four. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, go ahead, Raybon. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, going off what Sean said about not planning it out. I think that's important because I think um, you're ne- you never know, you know, ADP is average draft position for a reason um most adp listings also come with the min and the max pick i think you want to pay a lot more attention to that if you're really trying to 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 craft a detailed plan because a lot could change um depending you know it's not just going to go according to the average and i will say if you are looking to kind of go round by round and plan things out i would suggest a more helpful and effective strategy for doing so and really understanding the value in the draft is starting from the bottom, starting from the last pick and looking at the values you like the most at that pick and going the opposite way, because that'll show you kind of give you that um, foresight as to what will be available later in the draft and what you feel comfortable with and working your way backwards. I think that's always helped me a lot more than trying to start from round one where it's, it's, it's kind of just a lot more cut and dry and you're not really gaining as much um, value from, from going over that. Yeah, and just to kind of put a bow on this, I like Sean's idea of uh, letting the draft kind of fall to you, uh, taking the players who are falling. I mean, it's similar to like in in sports betting, getting closing line value, where you're just taking the discounts that the market gives you wherever you can, uh, as long as you're still doing it kind of within the confines of uh, good team building where you're not just taking, you know, like, tight ends for five straight rounds or something like that but uh, yeah where, where it fits in with the uh the constructs of your league kind of going off of that uh there's a question here i think a good question looking at the options that are available at different points in the draft are there any instances where you're feeling like you should try to draft a certain number of players for a particular position by a given round for example uh thinking you should draft three running backs by the sixth round or something like that uh, absolutely not. Again, it kind of goes back to what you were saying. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself like that. Um, so by letting the draft come to you, you know, you're going to kind of deviate from your original plan, which is totally fine. You're going to have to be able to sort of oddball the line, but you know, after round six, uh, I, I would be kind of scared if I only had like one running back. So running back's a position where I'm basically loading up early and often on it. So in general, I'm probably going to have two or three running backs by round six, but that's not something I'm planning necessarily. Yeah, I agree. I think the only position I'd say it kind of dictates itself because I think waiting on quarterback is, as we've talked about on the last episode, a really a good strategy this year as it is most years. So yeah, I don't really want to have a quarterback before probably the double digit round. So that kind of dictates that I'm going to have you know, nine rounds of flex eligible guys, probably at least one tight end. And yeah, I agree with Sean. I think there is a drop off and running back around that after the frozen pond here, you know, that's even, if you still don't have two running backs, at least the guys that are going to fill your starting lineup, you probably (laughs) want to be a little bit worried um, there. But aside from that, no, I think you have to let the draft come to you as Sean said, because your league might just be, oh, we're going to take all running backs. And what if 30 straight running backs come off the board? I mean, you could get like Antonio Brown in the fifth round, which I'm sure Friedman would be thrilled with. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you, and you have to take that. So I think, um, I think it really, that's, that's the key is just letting the draft come to you. 
Don't worry, we are going to talk about Antonio Brown later, I am sure. Okay, next question from a Harvard grad with Harvard misspelled, which is really nice there. Uh, Given last season was so pass-heavy, are you changing your strategy from overloading on running backs to snagging some wide receivers? So, I mean, I wasn't confused that running back was a disaster last year. It's going to be a disaster this year too, but, you know, it's so valuable that that's why I plan accordingly. So, like I said, I'm drafting early and often running backs. I don't draft the kicker defense to add two more running backs. Usually, if you look at my teams, my entire bench is just a bunch of backup running backs. So you prepare for that, you know, Game of Thrones style of chaos during the season. Having said that, though, I, I do want to get, you know, at least one or possibly two wide receiver ones this year. They're just more stable, more consistent. You can rely on them the entire year. But, you know, when it comes to, to running backs in the draft, the, all the all the techniques I have, you know, they usually pan out around like week five or six when running backs start going down. So I do like to load up on more wide receivers to, um, you know, fill out my flex position early in the season. And then, you know, as running back, the turnover happens, uh, you could start using them in your flex. So I think running backs position that gains strength during the season. And that's why you saw teams in the championship round, uh, you know, starting guys like Jeff Wilson, Gus Edwards, CJ Anderson and stuff. So just planning accordingly, you have to take running back seriously during the draft and during the season. And then, you know, at the draft, you can only take wide receiver ones at the draft. That's not a position that you could pick up a wide receiver one during the season. So I absolutely believe in, you know, trying to get one or two top wide receivers early on. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Ray. Uh, I was just gonna say you can't pay attention to league wide passing trends in a vacuum just because um, with, with the increase in passing comes the increase in passing to running backs. So that it doesn't make sense to just say, oh well, the league is passing more, and therefore I'm going to take more receivers. And it also makes the the running backs that still have heavy workloads even more valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the actual NFL, accumulating as many draft picks is a smart move, but does that translate to fantasy? Should I be looking to move back as much as possible? I'll just say, no, probably not. I would say in the later rounds, a little bit more so, because I think that as you get past that, I would say, you know, there's about five or six rounds of players that, you know, at the, at the flex eligible positions that you feel uh, have a decently high floor and then things start to, to go a little awry. And I'd say the ADP is not efficient enough. There is enough value later on that if I can kind of get some added value where I want it by, by trading back, um, you know, the difference between a, a ninth round pick or a 10th round pick or a 10th and a 12th is not different because there's just so many guys that I feel that are even going, you know, undrafted in a lot of leagues that are going to provide starter value or near starter value that, that I, I don't have a problem moving back later on. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. My, I mean, one of my preferred strategies, although it's, it's harder to do, it really just kind of depends on the league that you're in, is actually trading up and kind of moving out of some of the middle rounds. Um, because I find that I have like this barbell type of approach where mm-hmm. I like some of the guys who are kind of like the known entities. You can really project what they're going to do and they're going in rounds one through four. And then there are a lot of guys who are younger up and comers, maybe not known as much by people who are just in your average league. And those guys are available really late. So if I can kind of like bifurcate the way in which I'm approaching the pool of eligible players, that's one of the things I like to do. But it's just, it's hard to do that. It's hard to get trades actually done. Yeah, agreed. Uh, what is an outside-the-box strategy that may be a good strategy this year? Everyone waits on quarterback, zero RB. Everyone has heard those before. Is there something different this year? 
I think for me, the most out of the box thing, and this is not totally out of the box, but I mean, again, I, I don't think you should be planning around positions. I don't think you should be planning drafts from the top down. But for the purpose of answering the question, I think an interesting one is waiting on wide receiver. I guess some would call it zero wide receiver because I do see a lot of receivers in those middle to late rounds that um, I think could return top you know, 12, top 24 value. And so, and I think that the, their ADPs aren't very efficient, at least at this point in the offseason. So I think, you know, grabbing uh, a stud running back, maybe grabbing even two of the tight ends, because if you can get like a Kelsey and a Ertz or a Kittle, that's a pretty out of the box thing. And those guys are just as, those guys are putting up wide receiver one numbers anyway. So it's not like you're necessarily losing out on the numbers that you would have gotten from drafting a wide receiver there, but you're going to dominate that position. You're going to take away somebody else from dominating it. And you can also still be building your running back stable up because as Sean mentioned, you know, those guys are going to be valuable. Um, quarterback is always going to be there. So you don't even, you still don't have to take a quarterback early, but um, I, I think that would be the most quote-unquote out-of-the-box strategy that I would probably employ. At the risk of derailing us, I'm going to ask you a question here, uh, which is kind of uh, about strategy. What are your thoughts on really going after rookies in regular redraft leagues, especially, let's say, like kind of fishier redraft leagues? Like, So the strategy, the theory behind it is that you might have a whole bunch of, of guys playing who don't know who a lot of the rookies are. Uh, And so those rookies might, just because they don't have the name value yet, they might uh, fall down the board in these kind of fishier drafts and and provide more value. I think that kind of goes back to with my letting the draft come to me. You know, I'm going to grade out all the rookies accordingly. And, you know, if they happen to fall where I think there's a value, um, I'm going to take them. But, you know, I definitely wouldn't reach – anticipating my league to pass up on them i'd kind of let the league pass up on them and then scoop them up so uh but i I know what you're saying i'm in some leagues where you know i love them to death but they they don't know what they're doing and it's an offline draft and they're using magazines and stuff so yeah leagues like that leagues like that you know i'm getting ridiculous guys late so yeah like a Nikhil harry will you know fall to the 15th round or something so yeah i think that's that's another important point you know knowing your league mates and, you know, knowing their tendencies is a huge edge going into the draft. I think that's something that's pretty overlooked. Yeah, I think I'll just add that in general, rookie running backs that are slotted to be starters tend to, to be pretty safe. Running backs tend to peak uh, a little bit earlier and they tend to be given large work. If they're in a position to get large workloads, that tends to come to fruition more often than not because there's not a huge learning curve. Uh, with wide receivers, I'd be, I'd be a little bit more conservative just because there is a, a greater learning curve. I think my favorite time to take rookie wide receivers is kind of waiting the draft as, as, as Friedman was alluding to, you know, when, uh, you know, you could kind of get those guys for free. They might have even gone undrafted and you can you don't have to rely on them for any type of starter or even wide receiver for production um those are my favorite times but i'd say if you if you're if you're still feeling a little bit um confused about this i would i would suggest just going on like a pro football reference player season finder and you what you can do is you can filter by round and just look at the last five or ten years and sort by targets and just see for the amount of draft capital teams spend on a, on a receiver or or any uh, position how much of a workload did they get and you can kind of see um, what what's kind of a, a median to range to expect range of outcomes to expect all right where are you at with fournette uh, I think that, you know, he's a little, it's a little concerning just, uh, the, the kind of beef, uh, he's had with Tom Coughlin and the, and the organization, but I think that's, um, probably as much of, of the fault of Tom Coughlin and the organization. I think that one thing that Jacksonville did show is when they still were kind of in contention 
they they were willing to use Fournette uh, really uh, heavily in, in both the run and the pass game and around the goal line. So I think that he's just one of those. I would probably say, I don't know how you feel about this, Sean, but I would probably say he is in the, in the frozen pond tier, but one of the highest upside guys in that tier. He's definitely walking on top of the ice. Like he's, <laughs> he's like the cutoff, I think. Because I, I, I would love to get him if he falls around three. I think all these factors that you brought up are great. And, you know, he's had a riddled injury history, you know, yes. going back to college. So I think that's kind of suppressing his value. But that upside is there. So if he falls around three, I actually like him there. But, you know, having said that, I'm pretty in line with his ADP being, you know, the 13th or 14th running back. But, you know, that's his his role to have if he can stay healthy. So that's why I think he's just just above the frozen pond here. I don't think he meets the criteria typically uh, used to describe those describe those types of guys like i'll put it this way if when you think about i mean i don't know how you guys feel but if i'm thinking about a top three running back like a top three finish uh you know per game i don't rule leonard fournette out of that like leonard fournette right. in the right this year if the touchdowns are there and he's used like he was last year and, and you know he could be a, a, a top three so I, yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't pass up on him just because of what happened last year i just yeah, yeah. i think there's some concerns that you don't necessarily want to put him in that same tier as the, the guys in the first and early second uh sean is derrick henry in the frozen pond tier uh he he's definitely in that range but he's one of the guys that i would say doesn't meet the criteria either you know last year wasn't a fluke by any means. Um, you know, it was about this time last year. I was like in a depressed state that the Titans uh, brought in Deion Lewis because I was ready to load up on Derrick Henry. And lo and behold, like, you know, Deion Lewis doesn't get hurt and Henry ends up just erupting at the end of the year. So I think the Titans will sort of go into the season knowing they need to use Henry uh, like they did at the end of last year. Having said that, though, you know, when it comes to any sort of PPR format, he might be a little overrated. But if you're in a standard format, uh, getting him in, you know, the fourth or fifth round, I say go for it. You know, typically the, the criteria of a frozen pond guy is, you know, they kind of had a fluky end of the season. I hate to say it, but, you know, a guy like Damian Williams might be that kind of guy. But, you know, I still like him because of the offense. Or guys that, other guys that fit my frozen pond criteria, guys that, you know, they're sort of the nominal starter to start there, but they have guys behind him that can take over by like week three, and now you just have a guy you have to drop. I don't think Derrick Henry's either of those guys. So I think he's pretty safe in the RB2 range and would not consider him part of the frozen pond here. I think the one thing that's interesting to think about is that uh, the Titans will now have their fifth play caller in five years. Arthur Smith, tight ends coach, was promoted. Um, an interesting um, kind of subplot to that is that he's the tight ends coach. However, the Titans were kind of chided for uh, running, I think, the most archaic offense in the league last year. They had the most two tight end personnel, I believe. And I think, you know, teams generally hear these whispers and I, I, I wonder you know, are they, they seem in their draft, you know, that they got Brown. And so I think that you will see, and especially with Delaney Walker and John o. Smith now coming off injury, you know, you could be down to Michael Pruitt and, uh, and Ferkser as, as your top two for a, for, for a large part of camp. And so I think that they will be running more three wide sets. I think that will affect Henry in a certain type of way. So um, I am a little bit kind of concerned just because 
you know, the guy who was essentially responsible for playing him and riding him down the street. Yes, the, you know, the head coach is still there, but, you know, there's a new OC. So, I, you know, I think there is a little bit of concern just in that sense. But I think that he has that upside that if, if he is that guy, I mean, he could go nuts. So I think that Vrabel, you know, thinking about his time in New England, might look at Henry as like a Garrett Blunt type of guy who, you know, if the team is winning and they're able to kind of stay, stay in games like they were last year, he's going to be really good. But if for some reason the bottom falls out and this is the year the Titans finally kind of stop overachieving because they've won, I think, nine games for what? three straight years, if they stop overachieving, yeah. um, you could be in for that kind of early season disappointment with Henry again. So he's a guy like I, I think I'd probably tar- rather have Fournette. I don't know. I'm kind of going back and forth on it in, in my rankings. All right. How do you see the 49ers backfield shaking out? Is Tevin Coleman the guy to roster? Ooh, uh, I, I think they're ranked accordingly right now. Um, you know, in a vacuum, I would obviously like to take Coleman, but you know, that's pretty baked into his ADP right now. Uh, they're really hard to sort out. So in, in situations like that, I typically get the guy being underdrafted, and that would be Brita. I would just stash him later in the draft. And, you know, if Coleman misses time or they trade away or cut McKinnon, now you have Brita, who showed last year he can take on a big role. And, uh, you know, despite not being able to stay healthy last year, I think he'd be the guy that I think is posing the most value to just benefit from this crowded backfield. So, I mean, in general, I'm avoiding it altogether. Yeah, I, I think you have to be careful to, to, to label it in, and think of it in that way as like a guy to own in the San Fran backfield. I think there are certain coaches and, and many of them now are, are realizing that, especially, you know, with, with what New England's been doing. And, you know, I think even what, what the Rams do with Gurley and Anderson, you know, increased the, the visibility, the hyper visibility of it, uh, of having these committees. So I think, you know, from what I've heard and the quotes I've seen from Shanahan, he said that he envisions Coleman as kind of his big back. His, so I'm, I'm thinking that he envisions Coleman as kind of what Alfred Morris would have brought to the table. Um, last year, even though that's probably not what, exactly what we think of Coleman as, you think of him as still a, a speed guy. But I think Coleman's going to fill a, a, was brought in to fill a particular type of role, that kind of big back goal line type of guy. And I think then McKinnon is kind of looked at as you know Breida insurance and vice versa. I, I don't think they're sure about McKinnon yet, but I think that Breida and McKinnon um, will have a, like a similar type of role. And if McKinnon is not healthy, I think that really increases the viability of Breida. But right now, I have Coleman at forty percent of the carries, Breida at thirty percent, McKinnon at eight. 18 and Raheem Mostert at nine percent and use check at about two percent um I think Mostert might still factor in because Shanahan does like him a lot so um that'll be interesting to see as well who are the running backs going around round five who are potential lead backs it, well, it depends on your draft. I think, you know, certain drafts where maybe a Jacobs falls that low, I, I don't think he should. Um, Lamar Miller is another guy who, it's from all indications, it seems like the Texans are going to go forward with him again. And he's been getting about two-thirds of the carries and um, about 7 8% of the targets. So, you know, not spectacular. But I think, you know, you have Deshaun Watson and a, a, mo- a modestly improved O-line. Um, and, and the receivers back healthy. I think that's still a potentially explosive offense. And so he's kind of the guy I've been – um, snagging if I need an extra running back at that point in the draft. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a ton after round five, and that's essentially what you're trying to do is get guys that can, you know, elevate to that role. You know, some of the backups where if the starter gets hurt are pretty easy to gauge. But, you know, round yeah. five, guys that don't really require somebody to get hurt that could take over are guys like, you know, David Montgomery on Chicago. Lamar Miller, like Raybon said, is pretty much already in that role. Mark Ingram. Miles Sanders for Philly, Ronald Jones in Tampa. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, if, if they, um, you know, break out this season, could take over. Uh, but then you have guys like Latavis Murray that have value already to start the season. 
But if Kamara gets hurt, would sort of take over that role. And, you know, he would be a round three or round two kind of value at that point. But you, you, you definitely don't want to start trying to predict injuries, you know, in the round five to 10 range. So you're just trying to get these guys that just talent alone can elevate them to a workhorse role. So there, there's a few of them around that range. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I, I just want to like Mark, uh, Mark Ingram, man. Like I was down on him last year. So, you know, I ain't biased. I <laughs> love Mark Ingram this year. Like he is if he's still around in a fifth round. I mean, look at what the Ravens are doing. They have a quarterback that might not attempt more than like 25 to 28 passes per game. They had an p- effective run game with, with Gus Edwards, who was like the third or fourth guy. I understand that every year we, we draft the wrong Baltimore running back and it changes by midseason. Yeah. But um, I think th- like you have to look at it like this. They had an effective run game already with the guys on the roster that were cheap, and they still felt it necessary to bring in a Mark Ingram. And so with, with the way this team operates now, I, I do think that the defense will take a step back, but this is going to be an extremely run-heavy team. They're going to need more than one back, and I think Omar Moe is going to be that we back and just given his skill set I mean he's obviously more talented than Edwards than Alex Collins um he could have a monster year yeah he's actually falling to like round six and seven. Ooh. Oh, snag him yeah pick him up Edo Smith is he worth drafting inside of round 10 <sighs> no <Ugh>. next question <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> uh have been in a dilemma Andrew Luck or Mahomes in second round of the draft uh, whom do you prefer this year? I would say neither in the, <laughs> in the draft. Uh, do either of you disagree with me? No, but definitely not Andrew Luck in the second round. No, just just wait. Just just wait. Yeah. There's just literally – there's the top 12 quarterbacks, and, and the quarterbacks 13 to 24 could conceivably finish as the top 12, and the top 12 is the 13 to 24 outside of maybe like Mahomes, Mayfield, you know, and, 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 and Luck. So, it, it, yeah, wait. Just wait. What is the earliest you think it's okay to draft a quarterback? <laughs> Th- round three? I, I wouldn't be one of those people, but I think round three is the time. Okay, well, let's say you personally. Let's, oh, say, me Pat- per- let's say Patrick Mahomes is there in round four. Do you draft him? Um, it depends how the first three rounds went, but I would definitely have to consider it. Round five, if he's there. Oh, round, yeah. five, round five, round five for sure. Yeah, okay. depending on league settings, if they're weird, yeah. but yeah, just straight up league round five for sure. Yeah, right on. This is going to sound way too contrarian, but I would say round seven because I would want two running backs, three wide receivers, and either a flex or a tight end before I before I touch the quarterback. Yeah. Okay. How do you project uh, quarterback run totals for likely outlier schemes such as Baltimore or Buffalo? I love this question. So yeah. I, I hope we can spend some time on it because I'm <laughs> guessing we'll all have quite slightly different uh, methods of this. By, by so, the way, this, this question was asked by uh, Josh ADHD at Fantasy HD, uh, ADHD. Shout out to Josh. Great guy. Where I, I ew, please follow him on Twitter. Awesome, awesome content. Um, so yeah, I think that for me personally, what I use is um, I use you know for every team you're gonna have base rates, I and mean, for every stat they're gonna you're gonna have base rates, and then you're gonna have a stabilization point, which is essentially when the R squared is 0.5. You know when it's half skill, half luck. And so um, for me, what I use is I look at rushing attempts for quarterbacks as a quarterback trait as part of the overall projection for him. So I start, you know, I project. Uh, rushing attempts as a function of dropbacks and of pass attempts. So depending on how many, for every, you know, dropback, you know, even if it's a designed run, that's still going to impact the team. And so you can't, because you can't project, let's say Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, they're running, you know, 35, 40 times a game. Well, you can't just say, oh, well, Baltimore is going to run 34, 
35, 40 times a game. And then let's say uh, you had Joe Flacco come back in and you, you just have a completely wrong projection of, of rushing attempts for the team. So I start with quarterback with their dropbacks and then I project rushing attempts as a function of that. And then I'm projecting overall play volume based on how many games I think a team team's going to win in game script. And then whatever is left over after I have pass attempts, um, sacks, and quarterback rushes, that gets allocated to the rest of the rushing attempts for the running backs, receivers, and whoever else might attempt the Taysom Hills and, you know, those guys. Yeah, so I I do a lot of the similar techniques that Raybon mentioned. I I consider rush attempts more of a skill-based and scheme-based stat, so that's going to be a little more stable year to year. Um, Yards per rush and touchdown percentage, um, I regress those a lot more. Um, Having said that, you know, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, they – they were pretty crazy last year, and I, I do expect them to regress a little bit in the rush attempts, but not not too much. Um, Josh Allen, especially, you know, I was I was went back and watched a lot of his uh, run attempts, and you know they they have a weird offense where you know they send everyone deep, and if they're covered, Josh Allen will just pull down and run. And you know, he, dude's a freak. He's a great runner, so I, I don't really see that changing much. I, I do think bringing in Cole Beasley, they might be saying, hey, you know, if they're you know, cover deep, check it down to Cole Beasley. Uh, and that, that could sort of lower his attempts still. But I'm keeping him roughly the same. But his, his yards per rush last year was 7.1. That's going to come down. So have that, you know, closer to a normal 5.5 for someone his caliber. And then his, his rush touchdowns will come down a little bit. So, you know, I'm regressing Allen quite a bit in the, the running department. But I think he'll, he'll make up for it in the passing game. I think they brought in some weapons. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm giving a boost in the passing game. Lamar Jackson, on the other hand, you know, he was averaging 17 rushing attempts a game uh, in his starts last year, and I have it closer to 12. I, I just think that's – it's not really sustainable to have a guy like that take a beating at quarterback in addition to sacks. So I, I'm thinking, you know, they'll, they'll bring it down to closer to 12, and they're going to have less positive game scripts in general. You know, the, the defense is going to take a step back. So he's going to have to throw more. Um, having said that, you know, I think his uh, yards per attempt will actually go up this year. Uh, I think he'll have more efficient run and design runs and things like that. So, and, and his touchdown rate was pretty stable. So having said all that, he's coming in as my QB nine and that's, you know, giving quite a bit of regression in the running department. So that's why I've been targeting him, you know, as my QB do in a lot of drafts, because I'm factoring a ton of regression and he's still, you know, a QB one for me. So a, a lot of the skill-based things are still going to be there this year. So anything else is upside. So, you know, when I approach these, these rushing stats, I'm, you know, sort of balancing the skill and luck and just letting the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I will say, um, yeah, I have Lamar at 12.9 carries. I have Josh Allen at 7.3, and, and I do agree. I think um, I, there's a lot more variance that, that I give in terms of my range of outcomes for projecting quarterback uh, yard per carry than there is with running back, where they're almost all uh, exactly the same because um, it, it takes about 2,000 carries uh, for a running back's yard per per carry number to, to actually stabilize. So a lot of that variance we're seeing is just, it, it's not really predictive at all. All right. Um, here's a question. What is the best experience you've ever had in your life? For me, the answer is booking an experience through Airbnb experiences. Nailed it. Uh, on last week's show, I talked about hiking with my wife, which we booked through Airbnb experiences. We had a professional naturalist guiding us through the wild woodlands near the Iowa River. That was definitely a great experience. And I imagine one that is just representative of how awesome the total suite 
of available Airbnb experiences truly is. You know about Airbnb. It is your go-to site if you're looking for a place to stay. Uh, But you should check out the site for Airbnb experiences, which provide access to activities that you can't easily find elsewhere. Airbnb experiences are designed for active participation, so you can do something new. They are curated for quality and vetted for safety. These aren't your typical tours and activities. Airbnb experiences are hosted by locals who have deep expertise in their field. These are real experts with long-time hands-on experience who are guiding you through your own experience. With these experiences, you learn things you can't find online or in a textbook. And most importantly, you have fun. There are Airbnb experiences in over a thousand cities around the world. So there are lots of options for you to choose from. You don't need to be traveling to try Airbnb experiences. You can do them right in your hometown, which is exactly what I did for my experience. For your own adventures, check out airbnb.com slash experiences to explore one-of-a-kind activities created for the curious. Uh, Okay, guys, if we're going to get through the rest of the questions, we are really going to have to pick up the pace. Uh, So no long-windedness, if possible. Next question, are you going to uh, do another of your three major tendencies of offensive defensive coordinators coaches article? Yes, I'm going to bring it back. Um, There's a lot of interest in it, and um, I think I can really lend a voice um, in terms of I'm, I've been studying not just the, the coordinators and the tendencies, but just organizational philosophy that goes past it, that goes to the, the GM and the owner. And, and the, a lot of times those guys are issuing orders and putting these coordinators under mandates. So it's not just as simple as saying, oh, hey, um, this guy threw to the tight end 18 percent of the time. And so that's what I'm going to kind of project. It, it goes a lot deeper than that. So I am going to bring that back, whether that's one article or just, you know, the three bullet points within each of our team previews. It'll be there in some form. Does Doug Peterson like to use a backfill committee because he doesn't have good backs or does he do it because he has good backs, but he just likes to use a committee? I'll jump on that one. So I think, uh, so from what we've seen, he likes to do, he likes, he wants two backs, um, usually a, a more complete element that can catch passes, but also a, a power element. Um, we've seen him kind of use Jamal Charles and Niall Davis in those roles that in Philly, they had uh, Ryan Matthews, Darren Sproles. So I think two is, his, is he kind of wants to use. I think they don't necessarily want to do the three like Philly was doing for a while. I think that was more of a function of having Sproles in the mix and not really having a, a lot of proven guys um, outside of that. So um, I think they'll kind of settle on uh, Sanders and uh, Howard this year. Should I be overly worried that the Saints lost their center? Um, no, uh, they, they brought in uh, Nick Eason from Minnesota to hopefully fill in the, the gap that Unger created when he retired. And they also drafted uh, Eric McCoy. So if, you know, Eason doesn't work out, they could plug in the rookie who's considered to be a high floor prospect. So, you know, it's not something that I'm really factoring in too much in Camara, Breeze or MT. I think you just draft those guys straight up. It's, it's not something I'd be overly concerned about. Okay. How should I gauge the Arizona offensive line? Uh, How much better will they be based on health, improved health? And then does the air raid scheme mean that even if the offensive line uh, players aren't that good, the offensive line as a whole will be better? I think that's a great question. Uh, number one, yeah, offensive line play does not carry over from year to year, um, does not correlate that that much. So uh, you kind of have to assume that teams are going to regress, that the worst are going to regress a little bit. I think, yes, Humphreys and Pew being healthy will help. I think adding uh, Marcus Gilbert will help. So I think they'll be modestly better, maybe below average, maybe around league average. And I, and I do think that the air raid scheme helps because what that will do is they'll spread it out a little more three, four wide receivers. Johnson will have, or whoever's the back will have more room to work. And you also have to remember that, 
a quarterback that's mobile like a Kyler Murray usually gives a little bump to running backs in terms of efficiency because defenses have to account for that quarterback and, um, and, and kind of account on the edge for which way that, which one they're going to follow the quarterback or the uh, the runner back on certain type of option plays. Yeah, and uh, Evan Silva pointed this out on Twitter a couple of days ago. Cliff Kingsbury had a very uh, good system at uh, Texas Tech in terms of uh, offensive line play, a very low sack rate in general, uh, in part because there was such an emphasis on getting the ball out quickly from the quarterback. So as we've seen with um, with the Rams uh, over the past couple of years, um, even if the offensive line isn't all that great, uh, it can look much, much better just based on how, uh, how the quarterback uh, is deployed. Would Friedman trade Antonio Brown for Kyler Murray straight up in Dynasty? Uh, this is a great question, and I could talk about it for hours. Uh, instead, I will talk about it for just minutes. No, I, I don't believe that I actually would because I would hope that I could get more for Antonio Brown than just Kyler Murray. But if I were focused on this year, I think Antonio Brown probably provides more utility this year. So if I were really focused on winning this year, I would want Antonio Brown. If I'm thinking more long-term, I think this really might be the last year of, of like high-end utility out of Antonio Brown. So even from that perspective, I think now would be a good time to try to trade him for an asset. I would just hope to be able to get more than Kyler Murray. And I think starting in year two, so we'll say 2020, I think Kyler Murray would be able to, uh, to give more than Antonio Brown. Like I, I have a really high opinion of Kyler Murray. I think he's a league winning type of player. Uh, so he is someone I would want if I could trade Antonio Brown for Kyler Murray plus something else, I would definitely do it. Uh, did you guys play any sports in high school or college? Yep. Uh, high school, uh, four years varsity, uh, across country team captain for one of them and, uh, baseball all four years, two and a half on varsity. Uh, I was a pitcher and outfielder, um, extreme contact, no power hitter with, um, base running smarts. And I would, I would try to pull a lot of trick plays, hidden ball tricks, game theory type thing. So pretty, pretty par for the course with me. Yeah, no, I didn't play any. Um, our football team actually got uh, – there was like a, a really bad injury, I guess, and our, our football team got taken away, so that's what I wanted to play. I would have been one of those uh, like little quick returner types, but, uh, you know, didn't do that. So played, uh, played some sports that uh, aren't actually sports uh, after school in high school, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, I did uh, basketball. Um, you know, JV superstar. Our team went undefeated. We were so fantastic. And then baseball for four years, uh, outfielder. I had such a weak arm. It was an embarrassment. So eventually I started as a center fielder uh, in, on varsity freshman year, but my, cause I was fast, but my arm was so weak. Eventually I just had to move me to left field, which saved my arm. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> what the hell kind of season is uh, Antonio Brown going to have in your opinion? I'll just say, in my opinion, I think he will probably be a low-end wide receiver one. And I think that's probably, like, I think that's realistic. I think that's also kind of close to his ceiling. And I think, in part, it's just he's going to be fed a lot of volume. But I think there's also a lot of potential for downside here, especially mm -hmm. if things start to go sideways with the the offense. And, uh, you know, we'll just we'll see uh, how he really likes playing with someone who uh, is not a future Hall of Famer in a – city where people aren't going to care as much about the team anyway what do you guys think yeah I, I agree with that completely you know the targets are going to be there so I definitely you should draft him as a wide receiver one but 
you know, there's a lot of hidden downside there. Like you mentioned, you know, just imagine the Raiders are four and 10 heading into the fancy playoffs. Antonio Brown is known to be sort of an off field problem. Who knows what's going to be going on, you know, and that's, I don't plan for those scenarios, but that's gotta be at least like a 10% chance where he and Derek Carr feuding heading into the fancy playoffs. And you're wondering if you could even start him. Uh, But other red flags with him are, you know, we've seen whenever Big Ben went down and he had to play with the backup quarterback, he's typically a wide receiver two, even wide receiver three in those spots. And the elite guys like Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, whenever the quarterback goes down, it doesn't matter who's QB, Tom Savage, Brett Hundley, those guys are still elite wide receiver ones. And he's never really shown that in the past. Because I think, you know, with him, a lot of it had to do with the chemistry between him and Big Ben. So I'm just wondering if he'll be able to get that with Derek Carr so quickly at, you know, age 31. So there's there's a lot of red flags there, but, um, you know, he's still going to see a ton of targets. So you can't ignore him completely. Yeah, I think the, the one downside I'm really concerned about is that there were times, especially last year, where Amari Cooper was open and Derek Carr didn't throw him the ball and Derek Carr kind of took the, the check down. So that to me is the downside. But yeah, I still have him. I have him ranked uh, eighth in, in half point PPR. I still think that the, the target share will be in that 26 to, to 30 percent range. Who are the wide receivers you like for consistency over ceiling? So the guys who aren't league winners, but uh, you can play them every week and bank on 12-plus PPR points. Um, I love this question. I think the guy that basically embodies this question is Golden Tate. Uh, he's being drafted around like wide receiver 35 and 40 in PPR. So I've been getting him as you know late-round flex. You know I wouldn't want him to be my wide receiver 2 or 3 necessarily, but you can get him late enough where he's your flex to start the year. I have him at exactly 12 PPR points per game average. So I think he's one of those safe guys that's just going to give you a consistent high floor, uh, not necessarily much upside, but just a guy you can just trust to, to plug in and get you 12 or so points every week. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a good one. I think uh, I think Tyler Boyd, Larry Fitzgerald, guys who might not have the that league winning upside anymore. I think even Sterling Shepard, uh, you know, opposite Golden Tate is going to be a pretty um, high volume guy. I think a guy I've, I've talked about him before, but. Uh, Curtis Samuel is a guy who I think is going to get a lot of looks each game. You know, we've seen them give him five, six, seven touches combined in a run pass game when he's only played 20, 30% of the snap. So he might actually have a little more upside, but I think he's going to have a pretty safe floor as well. And as, as, as is Christian Kirk, but I actually think he has a lot more upside, Um, but I think he'll get schemed easy completions every game as well. All right, Tyreek Hill, we have questions on his situation. Uh, A few of them, so we're going to kind of wrap those all into one question. How are you looking at Tyreek Hill, uh, and how does that impact the way you are evaluating Sammy Watkins and also Travis Kelsey? I I think right now I'm assuming Tyreek Hill's not going to play this year. Uh, That might be dangerous, but uh, I think it's just you have to pick a side right now. Um, So having said that, I've mentioned it before, I'm targeting Kelsey early and often. But also I mentioned on our last pod, Sammy Watkins – is still going around wide receiver 24, and I think you got to get that if you're doing best balls right now. Um, once Tariq is announced out for the season, I think he'll rise closer to the top 15. I'm not sure yet, but I think he'll definitely be a top 20 uh, ADP by then. And, you know, last year he, he was wide receiver 24 in the nine games he was healthy. So you're kind of just getting that built-in upside as potentially being the number one wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes. So I think you got to do it at wide receiver 24. 
Yeah, I think the biggest concern with Watkins is not uh, production. It's just staying healthy. I think right. you know, he's still uh, one of the bigger injury risks at the position. But in terms of upside, I think he has as much as, as any. Like I think it's not out of the question for Sammy Watkins, assuming Tyreek Hill is out, to finish as the overall wide receiver one. And I think – oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to finish up my uh, – he, uh, you know, with him, you know, he's been around the league – seems like forever been on so many teams you just assume he's like three years old he's still you know only 26 entering his prime so I think that you know Mm -hmm. you're right with the injury concerns but you know he does have age on his side so you have to keep in mind that he's younger than people think oh yeah absolutely like he could he he has the top overall upside I'm just treating him the same way as Sean I'm assuming he's not going to play um and I have uh Miko Hardman kind of slotted into uh Tyreek Hill at 83 targets as a rookie so that's about five five per game um that's tentatively what i have uh hardman at right now so even if i had to plug hill back into that let's say he was suspended for eight games or something like that but they kept him um it would kind of work out to to a similar amount of targets so that's i'm not really too worried about it i think yeah i think watkins and uh and kelsey are the, are the big winners here sean shooting from the hip if you had to uh handicap the odds of tyree kill playing a game this season what what would that be? I think I mean I think he plays. I really okay. Plays. So you think it's over fifty percent then? I mean that's a fiery, very optimistic take. But yeah, I mean the longer this goes without anything yeah. happening, the the more realistic I think it is that he plays. Yeah, I haven't been as much uh, online sleuth as I was with Lashawn McCoy last year, so uh, I can't put a good. Th- this might be a good like Twitter poll. I think this is something you'd want to just get a wisdom of the crowds type of poll on it because it's it's hard to gauge. Like you said, you know, the longer this goes on, you do, you have to wonder if they're just going to just roll with him. So uh, it's de- it's definitely worth monitoring, especially this time of year if you're doing best balls. All right, there are a lot of questions that have to do with uh, Kelsey, Ertz, and Kittle, and then whether anyone else can sort of like break into the the top tier or who you're targeting after that. Uh, So I kind of want to lump this all into one question of like, what are you doing with your tight ends or like what is your tight end drafting philosophy? So I'll go first because I've been pretty clear. I'm, I'm trying to get one of the top three, especially Kelsey early on. The part of this question that I do want to hit on, which I think is really cool, is who will be the Eric Ebron of this year? I think that's a great question because I, I would say Vance McDonald sort of hits all the boxes that Ebron had last year. Yeah, You have a guy that's talented. He's on a top offense. And, you know, part of Ebron's success last year was Jack Doyle went down. There wasn't really many receivers behind T.Y. Hilton that were doing anything. And then T.Y. Hilton himself um, was banged up. So I think Vance McDonald hits all those boxes. There's no more A.B., there's no more Jesse James to even, you know, consider someone taking tight end targets away. So I think he is the guy, uh, you know, he's sort of, I, I forgot where Ebron was being drafted last year, but he's, he's lurking. McDonald is lurking around like tight end 12 to 14. So he just strikes me as a guy that could be a top five tight end easily this year, uh, sort of upside. So he, he's sort of reminds me of Ebron going into last year. Yeah. I like that. Rayvon, what do you think? Yeah, I like that because I think Juju now is going to get more coverage too. You got to remember yeah. that. Um, and another one I think, and I've talked about this, is uh, David Njoku because I think uh, Baker Mayfield is is going to be so good and you're going to have to pay attention to Beckham. You're going to have to pay attention to Landry that it's possible Njoku is that kind of third priority for the defense, which lends itself well to him getting an outlier amount of touchdowns because his quarterback is so good and he's going to throw him to somebody. And, uh, and so, yeah, and he has that athletic ability as well to kind of be – 
to, to kind of be that guy. So I, I like, I like those two guys. Yeah. And for me, uh, one guy, I mean, very different in terms of the dynamic of Eric Ebron, but one guy who I think has potential as a late round tight end. And we talked about him previous show, Mark Andrews, I think a a lot of potential there in in Baltimore. He has an established connection with Lamar Jackson. Uh, Okay. I wish kickers could have their points as part of the defense. So for instance, the Lions defense would get Prater's points. What are your thoughts on this? I, I get I get it, but I, I, I don't really like that any more than just having them separate because I think they are two totally different positions. And I don't think you want to if you're if you're drafting defenses, you want to be able to at least think of defenses as defense and as, you know, maybe incorporating a little bit of that return game. But adding kickers just adds like a whole nother layer that I think overcomplicates it. I think if anything, you want to simplify it and, and just, you know, eliminate the, the position completely if you don't if you don't like it. Yeah. Uh, OK. Fab tips and tricks or general strategies. Um, so I, I mean, there's, you kind of have to just let that come to you also, but I've typically, um, just like hoarded my budget and save it for, you know, two big buys during the year, typically running backs. And I think one of the things you want to avoid is just getting guys that, you know, just had a big game, but they, they don't really have a role, uh, going forward that would, you know, draw a big bid. So I'm also factoring in, you know, if, if a star running back gets suspended for a game or two or goes down. Um, I'm not going to load up on a guy just for a two-game rental. If a guy's ruled out for a year, a starting running back, um, I'm willing to load up and just you know go all in on the backup running back or somebody that I think is going to provide me the value for the rest of the season. Um, so having said that, I usually just make two huge bids a year. Um, other times, you know, I I punt on kicker and defense at the draft. So I'm usually just doing one dollar kicker defense buys here and there, just getting the team uh, I like the most. But uh, I just urge people to fall away from the traps of just, you know, spending $30 on the guy that, you know, is just going to fizzle away in a couple weeks. Okay. Uh, next question here. Auction strategy, 12-team PPR. I mean, there are a lot of details in this question. So <laughs> instead of going through that, I just kind of want your general auction strategy. So some of the tips that I have for auction drafts, which I take part in every year, I love them. Um, it's pretty obvious. You, you want to get guys at value. You're, you're going to have dollar values and you want to save money and get guys cheaper than you have on your dollar values. That's great and all, but when you enter in the draft, I think right away, right off the bat, you need to be a little bit aggressive because everybody is. Um, and there, there's sort of an inflation in the draft because of that. So don't be afraid to overbid early. Um, definitely go over your dollar values by a few bucks to snag some of these top receivers, top running backs, it's okay because no one's going to have money later in the draft. So you're going to still be able to get, you know, great value later in the drafts. Uh, another tip I have is every pick, every, every nomination, try to bid, you know, 70%, 75% of your dollar value. And you just try to get people off guard. You know, sometimes if it's an offline draft, you know, people are going to grab pizza or beer or whatever. And there's just some league wide brain farts where a guy goes way too cheap. So if you're constantly just bidding, you know, certain up to a certain point, you can snag those guys that you didn't even expect to get uh, cheap. And another another really good tip I can give for um, auctions, it's sort of reverse of snake drafts. Snake drafts, I always urge to get guys um, at the end of a tier because there's going to be a big drop-off. When it comes to auction drafts, I actually urge to get a guy at the top of a tier. Usually, the league kind of is in agreement with tiers in general. And when there's one guy left in a tier those are the guys that usually get overbid. So that's why at the beginning of the draft, people usually just pass up on a guy like DeAndre Hopkins because they know they can get 
they have their pick of Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, those guys. So the first guy nominated is usually the best value. Um, so you want to avoid being part of those guys that are panicking and trying to to get to the last guy on the tier, and you know you end up overbidding. So I think those those general tips I think um, I've learned over the years are, are great ways to kind of dominate your auction draft. Okay, uh, we have a question about keepers. Uh, Ten team league. Do I keep Barkley in the first, Christian McCaffrey in the second, Adam Thielen in the ninth? <laughs> Or Chubb in the 15th. I think I'd say pretty clearly Chubb in the 15th, but uh, I might be wrong here. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – <laughs> I, I would say they're all good. Maybe Phelan in the ninth is probably the one you just wouldn't consider. Yeah. You can make a case for all three running backs. Chubb in the 15th is just crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, similar one here. Uh, Kittle in round 19 or Chubb in round 16? Kittle. Yeah, yeah. I agree with yeah. that. Kittle, Kittle. Yeah. Uh, What picks would you need to get in return to trade your first round pick in a standard redraft? Two early, maybe two early seconds. I guess I don't. I'm I'm not a big. I don't know. Like I don't play in a ton of leagues where we're like trading picks all crazy. So this is this might be one better for you. But I would think if I if I'm trading out of the first round, I definitely want to kind of be able to to get that advantage of of you know getting that extra pick early on somewhere in, in that second round. Yeah, I agree with that. And then I would want to uh, get some picks back later, um, maybe in the middle of the draft where I, I feel like I'm still able to find value. Uh, and and I would say like, I kind of would think to earmark this as like, oh, this is my pick for a specific like player or a specific position. Uh, because like, if I have to sacrifice, it's like I'm sacrificing for something in particular that I feel pretty strongly will be within this draft range and will make a difference for my team. But, uh, yeah, in general, I, I kind of don't like to trade out of the first round. Okay, final question here. Who is the one player? It's, we teased this before. It's all, it's all coming back together. Who is the one player you expect to surprise everybody and be this year's fantasy draft darling, either like Philip Lindsay or Patrick Mahomes as the example here? Mahomes, I think, is a little bit different because people could kind of see that coming. But uh, Philip Lindsay truly came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, I think some people will know this guy if you play like a lot of dynasty, but like more so, you know, the average redraft player might not be as familiar, but we talked about him before, Andy Isabella of the Cardinals. I think he has a chance to, if things go all the way right for him, I mean, he could even lead that team in in reception. So um, I think Kirk will be that guy, but I think that um, the way they spread the ball around, and if you look at his production in college, I mean, he was just tremendously um, productive, um, high volume guy. I think that it's it's possible that in that kind of um, simplified offense, I think that he could be be a big big factor in year one because he adds a dimension that um, I don't think Larry Fitzgerald really has at this point in terms of being able to to separate and and he could slot in right alongside Kirk as those two uh, as that that main guy in that in that offense. So I mean, like he's, Lindsay was just you know that's that's rare. That's probably not going to happen for another decade. Um, so it, it's hard to establish what criteria that would be. But I'm going to get pretty meta with this and say Royce Freeman will be that guy this year. He'll take his job back from Philip Lindsay. Nice. Um, I, I do like Philip Lindsay. Uh, I, I think you know last year wasn't a fluke by any means. It's just that's just the way running back committees work out, where just one guy can run away with it. But he did, you know, he fizzled out towards the end of last year. He's no lock to be that guy again this year. So I think Royce Freeman. I mean, he looked good last year. It was just kind of unfortunate that Lindsay was so good. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, if something happens to Lindsay or Freeman breaks out next year, he could push RB1 potential as a workhorse running back. 
you know, having said that, this is this is an outlier I'm trying to carve out. But, you know, in that sort of scenario, he would kind of fit that Lindsay mole of someone we were kind of overlooking altogether, but um, could could be a guy that you can get really late and be, you know, potential RB2, RB1 value. Yeah, I like that Andy Isabella call. Um, what would keep me away from him uh, in this scenario is that he is a second rounder. So, uh, I mean, I, I, don't know, I think it would be maybe, I don't know, like both almost like too easy to project him being awesome. But but then also like, oh, he's a wide receiver. It's hard for those first year wide receivers to to fully break out. So I'm going to go with two rookie running backs. One is Justice Hill fourth rounder has great size adjusted athleticism great speed explosiveness was productive in college at a very young age uh, and now is with the Baltimore Ravens who are going to be very run heavy and so I think he has potential even if he doesn't become the lead back Um, but if he becomes the lead back I think uh, he could just blow up and then another guy is a sixth rounder Travion Williams uh, out of Texas A&M was hugely productive the lead back there all three seasons came out early as a junior, isn't incredibly productive, uh, sorry, isn't incredibly athletic, but I think it's athletic enough. And uh, if Joe Mixon is to suffer an injury, I think Travion Williams would be the guy who would be able to come in. And he has a a three down skill set where I think he really could be the lead back. So those would be the the two guys I would go with that I, I could kind of see them potentially coming out of nowhere. This was a good episode. It was a beefy episode what are you guys working on for the upcoming week i'm going to continue um i just put out a uh, i'm sure you guys saw the mahomes piece i'm sure you saw the 10 fades um i'll have a 10 or or i don't know if it's going to be 10 but i'll have a a similar piece on the amount the guys i like and i also have a piece on the giants and their dysfunction with gettleman and and all those guys uh this week i just came out with my piece I, i plugged last week the 18 games I, I found value on for weeks two through 17 lines that are up. Uh, I applied uh, my initial season power ratings and some game theory where teams will sort of be trending at certain points of the season. So check that out. And I'm, I'm doing a little side project with Chad Millman where I'm capping NBA 2K19 um, games that he's simulating. So um, having some fun with that and going to be rolling out some content this week on that. It sounds like a fantastic use of your time, <laughs> especially in May. <laughs> that, that is, that is like the ultimate off-season project. You know, <laughs> like it's football. We can think about that a little bit later. Right now, I need to focus on basketball video games. Yeah, especially when the wife's asking me. You know, we're getting ready to leave, and she's like, "What are you doing? Get over here!" And uh, you know, I'm like, "Oh, I'm simulating this uh, Golden State Warrior game on PlayStation." So really awkward conversation material right there but yeah it's good it looks like you're playing a video game that's right i am and it's for my work so uh okay the off season rolls on we will have a, another episode next week till then that is going to do it for this episode of the action network nfl podcast please rate and review the show in itunes for sean and chris i am matthew friedman matt at the oracle see you again next episode <laughs>